friendships, marriage, relationships with roommates, classmates, teammates, relationships in the church. Bad news. Every relationship that you're a part of is in danger of being destroyed. The good news is there is a solution. Today we're going to be reading from 3 John. It's the shortest book in the whole Bible. Fewer words than any other part of the Bible. And yet, I I don't know if I've ever read a more power-packed summary of principles of leadership, of life in Christian community, of life in relationship, because this very short letter from the New Testament deals with the false love that destroys relationships. Before we read, a little bit of background and introduction to the cast of characters. John, the disciple of Jesus, the apostle, is writing this letter. He's writing it from the church where he's a pastor and leader, Ephesus, in what today would be Turkey. He's writing to a friend of his named Gaius, someone he dearly loves. Now, John's church has sent out missionaries, teachers, to to talk about Jesus with people who don't know him in towns, cities, villages, uh, other than their own. And they've sent those missionaries to the place where Gaius lives. And Gaius has welcomed them and cared for them and supported their ministry. John is encouraging him. And John talks about two leaders. One is named Diotrephes. Diotrephes hates John. We don't know exactly why, but you'll see that he hates John. (laughs) And then John mentions another Christian leader named Demetrius. We don't know if Demetrius was a pastor of another church, but Diotrephes was. Uh, Demetrius may have been another missionary teacher. We we don't know with certainty, but we do know that John is saying, hey, Gaius, it doesn't look like Diotrephes is the kind of leader who's going to help you and others to grow in their faith in Christ, at least not right now. Demetrius is a better partner for ministry and growth in Christ. That's the cast of characters. Let's hear, uh, listening for a couple of key questions. What is the false love that's going to destroy relationships? And what's the solution? Stacy's going to read for us. Today's reading comes from John's third letter, verses 5 through 12. Dear friend, You are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. 
Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, if we just needed to understand those words intellectually, uh, we could do it without much help. But we need to be transformed at a much deeper level, so let's stop and ask for help. Lord, we need you. Uh, we don't need me. We don't need this church. We don't need human help. We need something beyond humanity to reach into our hearts and transform us uh, so that we don't destroy the world around us. Um, and so that we don't ignore what you're speaking to us today about Christ. And some of us need you to wake us up again. We have loved Jesus in the past, but we have gotten distracted from him. We need you to wake us up. And some of us have always slept. We've never come awake to him. This is a good day to wake up. We need you, Lord. Come and meet with us. And don't leave us alone. Stay after us until we are changed by Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. So as Tricia and I had adventures throughout uh, England over the summer, we did spend a little time in Scotland as well. But in England, you see a lot of imagery like this, uh, St. George and the dragon. Uh, St. George is kind of the patron saint of England as a country. And uh, there's this legend about him going out uh, to, to slay a dragon outside a village. The dragon had been demanding sacrifice once a year and uh, kept upping the demands until finally he was demanding human sacrifice. And uh, one year, St. George is like, that's it, that's enough. And he goes out and conquers the dragon. Why do people celebrate stories like that? Um, and the answer is, well, in all the legends about dragons, dragons destroy everything around them. They won't stop until they've destroyed everything. And if there's somebody who can slay that dragon, then great. If we can, if we can have a new way of life that doesn't involve constant fear of the destruction that the dragon could bring, then that's good news. This morning, we're going to start with bad news. We're going to talk about the way of the dragon. Um, Dragons collect treasure, and they love it. They hoard it. They won't share it with anyone else. If you've ever read a story called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader by C.S. Lewis, it features a young man who had a great middle name, I would say, uh, Eustace Clarence uh, Scrub. And um, there's a part of the story where he falls asleep on a dragon's hoard, this great pile of treasure of silver and gold and gemstones. And, uh, and C.S. Lewis writes, you know, sleeping on this dragon's hoard with greedy dragonish thoughts in his heart, Eustace woke up to find that he had become a dragon himself. This little book of 3 John talks about a, a treasure that human beings like to hoard. Verse 9 describes it as 
loving to be first. If you treasure that, if you, if you hoard for yourself this love of being first, you will become a dragon. It's, it's this hoarding of I have to have approval from other people. I have to know that they think I am the best. I have to have attention from other people. When I walk into a room, everyone needs to be looking at me first, not other people first, me first. I love to be first. I have to have other people applauding for me. If they're applauding for you, I hate it. I want them clapping for me, like my post, not hers. I have to be first. I have to be in charge. If, if we're following someone's ideas, it should be my ideas. If we're listening to someone's wisdom and words, they should be my words, not anyone else's. And if I have to talk so much that you can't get a word in edgewise, so be it. Because I have to have the focus on me. And in a church context, this becomes something like the church exists to provide a platform for everyone else to see how wonderful I am. Now, that sounds ridiculous when you say it out loud. I mean, who would ever confess to thinking that way and being like that? I would. Right? It sounds ridiculous, but we see it all the time. How many relationships have you seen destroyed by that kind of love, of being first? How many families, marriages, churches destroyed by that? If we're honest, we all can identify with those kinds of dragonish thoughts, hoarding first place for ourselves. You see in this little letter of 3 John some of the things that it results in. One of the results of this kind of love of being first is that you see other people as a threat. Listen to the way that Diotrephes worked this out, right? John says Diotrephes loves to be first, and so he will have nothing to do with us, verse 9 says. He, he doesn't accept our authority, doesn't acknowledge our leadership would be another way to translate it. I, I'm one of Jesus' own disciples and apostles, and Dr. Fies won't listen to me because he hates me. How badly does he hate me? How, how much does he perceive me as a threat? Well, not only does he not like me, he won't listen to any of the missionaries that have come out from my church, right? Verse 10 goes on to describe that. He, he refuses to welcome the brothers, the, these missionaries who have gone out from John's church in Ephesus. And is he satisfied with that? No. If I'm threatened by John, I'm threatened by anybody who knows John. And I'm threatened by anybody who likes anybody who knows John. And so verse 10 says, not satisfied with that, he puts those people out of his own church. I'm so threatened by other people. If I love being first, then I see other people as a threat. And if I have to make you leave my life, I will do it. That's one of the results of this 
twisted love of first place. Another result is, um, you know, every good dragon story has to have some fire breathing in it. Well, listen to John's description of Diotrephes, verse 10. If I come, I will bring up what he is doing, right? I will, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us, talking wicked words that are nonsense. He, he is saying things that are untrue. He's breathing fire. He will use words in a way that destroy other people because he sees anyone else who's succeeding as a threat to himself. That's the way of the dragon. That's what it's like to love being first. If you love being first, you will eventually destroy every relationship that you are in. That's hard news. Uh, John says it's real hard. Verse 11 says, if, if we keep living like this, it will eventually show that if we claim to know God, that claim is false, right? <laughs> Whoever does evil has not seen God. That's strong news. To think that over time, we could treasure another God in our heart, a little G God like Steve mentioned earlier, this idol of being first, having everybody's affirmation for me and not sharing it with anyone. That little God could mean that we become eventually this dragon in disguise, destroying everyone around us. There's hope. They're not just a dragon. There's a dragon slayer. Our relationships can be protected from this danger. Our hearts can be renewed and, and brought back from this love of first place that threatens every relationship. How? Who's the dragon slayer? Well, verse 7 hints at it when it says that these traveling teachers and, and missionary uh, Disciplers who've gone out for, from John's church, it says why they went out. It was for the sake of the name. Whose name? The name of Jesus. And, and there's something so good about Jesus and his name that everybody who knows him and loves him would be willing to pay a cost so that other people could hear truth about him. That's the meaning of the second half of verse 7. These traveling teachers went out for the sake of the name of Jesus, receiving no help from the pagans. In other words, they're going out to talk to people who don't know anything about Jesus, have never heard anything about him, and they're not asking those people to pay money to support them. They, they don't want it to seem like, well, we're just other hucksters out here selling any old myth or legend or religion in order to line our own pockets. So they've gone out saying, will our other Christian brothers and sisters give us the financial support that we need so that we don't have to ask these people to pay anything to hear about Jesus? 
There's something so good about Jesus that you and I ought to be ready to pay so that other people can hear about him. It's like seeing a movie and going, that movie was so amazing, I will buy you a ticket. That's how badly I want you to see it. I've read a book so good that I've already ordered you a copy on Amazon. It's going to show up on your doorstep to, tomorrow morning. I love it that much. What is it about Jesus that makes us love him that much? Well, we don't have time to list all the reasons. That's why we worship every week. It takes a lifetime, in fact, an eternity, to explore all the reasons that we would love him. But here's one. Jesus invites people who have failed spectacularly to be transformed by his grace. Jesus invites people who have failed, and not just failed, but failed spectacularly to, to be transformed by his grace. This is why John can say in verse 10, you know what? I want to come, and I want to meet face-to-face with Diotrephes, and I want to tell him what he's doing. Why? It's not John saying, I'm going to slam him. It's not John saying, I'm going to come put him in his place. I can't wait to destroy this guy. It's John saying, it's not too late for him. Jesus calls people to repent and turn back to him. Jesus can change people even when they have destroyed whole churches. Now, how would John know that? Let's look at a, let's pull back and look at, look at the bigger biblical story for a moment. There are a few incidents in John's life of following Jesus where he has tasted this himself. Let's take time to just think about one of them. There's a passage in Mark chapter 10 where John and his brother James come to Jesus. They may have enlisted, Matthew says, Matthew's version says, they they got their mom to help. (laughs) And they come to Jesus saying, can we be the top two? Jesus, when when, when your kingdom is here in all of its glory and fullness, Can we be number one and number two? We don't care which of us is which, but those other ten bozos who are following you are clearly not worthy of being first. Here's John saying, I love to be first. And Jesus, will you make me first or at least second? And the other disciples get wind of this and they say, "Um, who gave you the right? They're grumbling about it. So Jesus calls them together, and he begins to talk to them about himself. And the story ends with Jesus saying this, I'm the son of man, that heavenly figure that Daniel talked about, who would be the bridge between God and his people. That's me. And I did not come to be served. I came to serve. I I didn't come to love first place. I came to put myself in last place and to put others before me. And I came to lay down my life as a ransom for many. A ransom is a price that is paid to set someone free, whether you're a prisoner of war or a slave. Jesus is saying, I have come to lay down my life so that other people could be set free 
from what? Well, from all kinds of things, including the power of false loves. John, James, this false love you have of being first. I've come to set you free from it. If you keep reading the story of the dawn treader and Eustace, you find not only that he became a dragon sleeping on the dragon's treasure hoard, eventually he was undragoned. What a great verb that is. And he found his friends and shipmates, the dawn treader is a ship, and he said to them, I want to tell you how I stopped being a dragon. Now, C.S. Lewis was writing from his perspective as a follower of Jesus. And so he shaped the story to reflect the truths that we know from Scripture about Jesus. If C.S. Lewis had been a moralist, Eustace would have said, I stopped being a dragon by deciding to be better at rule-keeping than the rest of you wimps. I decided to get serious about spiritually performing better than anyone else. That's not the story that Eustace told because C.S. Lewis wasn't a moralist. If Lewis had been a humanist, Eustace would have told this story. I want to tell you how I stopped being a dragon. I finally realized that there was no help from outside of me. If there's a God in the universe, we could never know whether that God exists. So I decided to be the change I wanted to see. And I undragoned myself. That's not the story Eustace tells because C.S. Lewis was not a humanist. He was a Christian. And so Lewis tells a story of Eustace saying to his friends, I saw a great lion approaching me. The lion's named Aslan in Lewis's stories, and he is a symbol for Jesus. And Eustace says that <laughs> the lion eventually said to me, you will have to let me undress you. Here's a dragon slayer. Left to ourselves, we will love being first so much that we will destroy every relationship we are part of. Or at least poison it. But Jesus can undragon us. He is the dragon slayer. What, what, what does Christianity say about dragons like us who love to be first? It says, First of all, this is completely unacceptable. People should not live like this. Secondly, real forgiveness is possible because Jesus gave his life as a ransom to set people free. And thirdly, real change is possible so that we aren't just walking around as forgiven dragons who keep destroying people. But we are transformed and undragoned. And that change is possible because Jesus laid down his life as a ransom to set people free from this false love of being first. And that means we can live a new way. We don't have to follow the way of the dragon. There's another way. That new way says, you know what? It's not true what Diotrephes was living, that the church exists to provide a platform for everyone else to see his greatness. 
this new way begins with saying, you know what, the world, yes, the church, but also the whole world exists to provide a platform for enjoying the love of Jesus. That's why the world exists. So that there is a place to enjoy the love that Jesus has for people and the love that we have for him in return and the love that flows from him to us and overflows toward other people. The world is a platform for enjoying the love of Jesus in all those dimensions. What does that mean for us? Let me talk about two implications. One that's more practical and the other that's a little more abstract but very real. The practical one is this. Simply, um, do the strange work of celebrating other people's successes. If we're all constantly battling this temptation to put self first and see everyone else as a threat, then, then what a powerful demonstration of the fact that Jesus is changing us if we would become a community known for celebrating the successes of other people. I don't see you as a threat. So I can affirm the good things that you are accomplishing. I can affirm the good things happening in your life without having to say, well, it's happening in my life too. Did everybody notice that it's happening better in my life than in yours? Oh, by the way, you're a good number two, but I'm number one. What a strange thing for people to see the Christian church in all spheres of our lives, not just here, but everywhere God sends us to begin to, to live out this healing process where the dragon poison has its antidote in the love of Jesus. Well, there's one practical way that we can live this out. Here's one that's maybe going to sound a little bit more abstract you need to understand that the, the prevailing moral and intellectual paradigm of our culture right now is that the world exists to provide a platform for my self-expression. You hear how that's like but unlike the truth of Christianity. It is true that the world exists to provide a platform for people to be in awe of someone. That someone is Jesus. But the prevailing worldview of our moment is the whole world exists so that I can find the persona that I want to cultivate and then express that for everyone else to love and appreciate. I get to shape my own view of myself and then share it with others. Now, that may sound to you like, well, isn't that social media? Yeah, but you know why social media is working that way? Not because it's a technology or not because it's fundamentally flawed, but it's just the means for expressing this underlying view that the whole world is there 
so that I have a place to show everyone how incredible my view of myself is. If you are under the age of 30 and over the age of two, you are having to fight that temptation at every moment of every day. And it will be a long, hard fight. And it will hurt you deeply. Many, many times. And I pray that Jesus will give you strength in that fight. If you are over the age of 30, that is not your fight. And it is going to be really tempting for you and me to look at people younger than us and go, why can't they just see? how wrong this view of the world is, what is wrong with them. It will be easy for us to stand back and say, we're immune to that temptation. Well, guess what? We got plenty of other temptations. Younger people in our lives don't need us to look down at them as they fight this fight. They need us to understand how much courage it takes them every moment of every day to fight this battle. They need us to strengthen them when the battle is not going well. They need us to encourage them. Sometimes they may need us to confront them, but they need us to share with them more than anything else the love of Jesus. There's a painful part of the story about Eustace meeting Aslan to be undragoned. This is a famous drawing of Dragon Eustace. Eustace tries to undress himself a few times. He sees Aslan coming. He's like, oh, I can fix myself. <laughs> Scrapes off the dragon skin and finds it immediately grows back. <laughs> Scrapes it off, steps, aside, steps out of it. There's another one underneath it. And this is when Aslan says, no, you have to let me undress you. And Eustace says, as he's sharing this story with all his friends, the very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right to my heart. Love of being first is not a shallow thing that sits on the surface of your soul and mine. It goes right to the heart. The good news of Christianity is that Jesus is a skilled surgeon who knows how to tear so deeply into our lives that it feels like we will die, and yet he does not destroy us. The way of the dragon threatens to destroy every relationship that you and I are a part of, but there is a dragon slayer named Jesus who has laid down his life to set us free from a lesser love, to love him instead. I think it's time to say thank you. 
Lord Jesus, thank you for not leaving us to ourselves. Thank you for not calling us to a place of pride and arrogance where we might read this little letter and say, ooh, Diotrephes was a bad guy. I'm glad I'm not like him. Thank you for opening our eyes to see that we need you to change and transform us. Thank you for being the kind of Savior who would lay down your life to set us free and who would invite people who have failed in spectacular ways to come to you for transformation. Lord, we come to you and we want what you have to offer. Please meet us in our need. Amen.